0: I would speak to you in the name of the true and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. From the book of the prophet Isaiah, the wolf shall live with the lamb, the weaned child shall put his hand in the adder's den. They will not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Today's reading from Isaiah evokes in me a vivid childhood memory. I was young, perhaps seven or eight, and my mother had walked my two brothers and me to the nearby town center for some shopping. Our favorite stores were what we called the Five and Tens, where you could find rows and rows of aquariums filled with tropical fish. This day, in one tank that was perfectly at eye level for a child, dozens of little turtles swam every which way in the water. Each one had a shell about the size of a half dollar coin. They would paddle about with their stubby little arms and legs, dive deep, come back up for air, and playfully chase each other. My brothers and I stood mesmerized by the happy, chaotic scene. Just then, a store clerk who must have noticed our interest in the turtles asked if we'd like to watch them eat. Well, of course we would. Oh my, were we in for a surprise, and not a nice one. The clerk came back with a plastic bag full of water, and in the water were live goldfish, more than we could count. Into the turtle tank went the goldfish, and the ensuing mayhem was something I remember to this day. All those cute little turtles, with their stubby little arms and legs, began chasing after all those goldfish, not to play with them, but to eat them. It was a merciless slaughter. Bite by bite, fin by fin, gill by gill, the turtles immobilized the fish and devoured them. I can recall one half-eaten fish swimming sideways and upside down, making its way to the glass where we watched, as if to tell us with its dying gasps, it stinks to be me. What had been a happy, playful scene turned into my first real encounter with the violence of nature, red in tooth and claw. In today's Old Testament reading from the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah, he describes a scene with all the potential for carnage that I witnessed at the 5 and 10 long ago. Imagine a lamb wandering into a pack of wolves and a small child reaching into a den of venomous snakes. Picture a goat trying to snuggle up to a leopard, or a cow saying to a bear and a lion, don't eat me, try some straw instead. What will happen to a calf that lays down for a nap at the feet of a lion, or a little child who tries to engage a bear in play? Who wants to watch the scenes play out to their inevitable conclusion, or worse yet, be in them? Yes, from our vantage point at the top of the food chain, we've grown accustomed to the fact that life feeds upon life. Even still, some part of us recoils from the violence. Nevertheless, Isaiah's vision paints a different picture, a scene that the 19th century American folk artist, Edward Hicks, tried to capture again and again on large canvases that he entitled the Peaceable Kingdom. In Isaiah's prophecy and on Hick's canvases, none of the gut-wrenching scenarios we imagine come to pass, and perfect peace prevails. The wolf dwells with the lamb. The cow and the bear and the lion feed together on straw. I suppose turtles and goldfish play with each other. A little child leads them all. They shall not hurt nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea." To understand what Isaiah means when he speaks of the earth's being full of the knowledge of the Lord, we go all the way back to the first two chapters of Genesis. We find Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, living in perfect peace with God, in perfect peace with each other and in perfect peace with the animal kingdom. No creature kills or eats any other. God says, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. Not too many of us interpret Genesis with the flat literalism of the fundamentalists as if it were literal history? I certainly don't. Instead, what I believe we find there is deeper truth and a more compelling vision. That the mind of God for the created order is perfect peace and harmony, That God's intention for all creatures of the earth is that they should mingle together without fear of violence. The peaceable kingdom is the way things ought to be. It is the peace of God that passes all understanding. Do we dare accept such a gift and even try to live it? In the 1920s and 30s, the rector of Grace Church was a man named Walter Russell Bowie. Bowie had been a chaplain in France during World War I, and the horror he witnessed in the trenches caused him to vow that he would never again speak a positive word about war. Here at Grace Church, his occasional pacifist sermons weren't a problem, until the 1930s. Then, with Hitler and Mussolini on the rise in Europe, the congregation began to take issue with what he was saying. Some complained they couldn't hear the rector. To remedy the problem, the vestry agreed in 1934 to move the pulpit from the chancel, where the advent wreath is now, to this spot right here, into the middle of the pews so that the congregation might hear the rector. Can you hear me now? The complaints continued, however, and they began to have a psychological effect on Bowie. He developed a speech impediment and eventually resigned. At one point, a supporter explained to him, my dear Dr. Bowie, it's not that they can't hear you. They don't want to hear you. Indeed, the peace of God passes all understanding. Yes, we yearn for the peaceable kingdom. Yes, we have a primal homesickness for it, but it's not the way nature works. Back to Genesis we go to see the sharp break between the way life ought to be and the way life is. In Genesis 3, we encounter what is called the fall from grace after which living things steal the breath of life from each other through violence. No longer can all creatures enjoy pleasant little mixers together. No longer is the earth filled with the knowledge of the Lord. No longer do the mind of God and the way of earth intermingle with each other as the waters cover the sea. Now we have a sharp divide. Now living things kill and eat one another to survive. The fear and dread of humankind is upon every beast of the earth, and eventually we too will sleep with the fishes. Isaiah's vision defies comprehension. When he first spoke, In other words, it was a time of war for the Jews. Historians debate whether it was war with the Assyrians or war with the Babylonians, but for our purposes today, it hardly matters. The point is, it was war. Once again, nation was taking up arms against nation, and the world is still at it today. To be sure, warring humankind willfully resists learning the things that make for peace, but the problem seems to go even deeper than our stubborn, conscious rebellion. All of creation is caught up in the consequences of a fallen world and incapable of finding its way out of them. Will it ever end? Here we are in 2022, on the periphery of another European war that threatens to escalate. How do you stop war criminals like Hitler and Putin and still claim to love the peaceable kingdom? I don't have an answer. We walk a fine line as the children of light who claim to follow Jesus. Nevertheless, all is not lost. Both Isaiah and John the Baptist, from whom we heard in today's Gospel reading from Matthew, knew that the peaceable kingdom could only be inaugurated through the coming of the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Savior. Isaiah looked from afar. John declared that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. Isaiah and John are the prophets of Advent because they encourage us to look for the coming of God as our hope. It's the coming of God that will restore all creation to its intended purposes. It's the coming of God that will fulfill our deepest yearnings for peace. Diplomacy, politics, moral effort, and religion all have their place but they, certainly, they can certainly serve in concert with God's purposes and intermingle with God's intention. We should never go, grow careless in these duties, but neither should we mistake them as the source of our salvation. They do not save in the profoundest sense of the term. Only the coming of God can achieve the peaceable kingdom. And so, That is why in Advent we pray, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, not only to a manger in Bethlehem long ago, not only far off in the future at the end of time to judge the living and the dead, but come, Lord Jesus, today into the hearts and minds and souls of this congregation here present. In a moment's time, we'll come forward to receive the bread and wine of the Eucharist. And if the communion we share means anything at all, it is that Christ comes to the here and now to fill ourselves, our souls and bodies with His life and peace. And those who are filled with the Spirit of Christ find that they can do all things through Him who strengthens them. In today's reading from Matthew, John the Baptist called the people to repent before they could enter the peaceable kingdom. Perhaps we can define repentance as choosing every opportunity we can to rise above the way of the jungle. So let me tell you about two strikingly different people whose life and legacy can help us glimpse God's day of peace. The first is none other than Winston Churchill, the Prime Minister of England during World War II. Churchill has exemplified that we can never have peace in our time unless people of goodwill stand up to the bullies of the world and fight back. He was not a pacifist, not by any stretch of the imagination. Nevertheless, after the war, he wrote these surprising words. Those who are prone by temperament and character to seek sharp and clear-cut solutions of difficult and obscure problems, who are ready to fight whenever some challenge comes from a foreign power, have not always been right. On the other hand, those whose inclination is to bow their heads, to seek patiently and faithfully for peaceful compromise, are not always wrong. On the contrary, in the majority of instances, they may be right, not only morally, but from a practical standpoint. How many wars have been averted by patience and persisting goodwill? Religion and virtue alike lend their sanctions to meekness and humility, not only between men, but between nations. How many wars have been precipitated by firebrands? How many misunderstandings which led to wars could have been removed by temporizing? Churchill's words are sobering to a saber-rattling world. Can we hear him now? The second person whose example can inspire us to live, even now, in the peaceable kingdom was a pacifist, St. Francis of Assisi. In the town of Gubbio, just north of Assisi, it seems that the people lived in terror of a huge wolf that would attack anyone who ventured outside the city walls. The people called upon St. Francis, who wasn't a saint at the time, just Francis, for help, and the saintly man went out to the wolf unarmed. Francis called to the beast, Brother Wolf. In the name of Jesus Christ, I order you not to hurt anyone. To make a long story short, somehow, Francis was able to make peace with the wolf, as only Francis could do. That's why he's a saint. He made the people promise that they would feed the wolf every day, as long as it lived, and he made the wolf promise to submit to the people and live with them in peace. Then he led the animal into the town square and preached a sermon with the wolf curled up at his feet. It said that the wolf and the people lived together in peace and with affection. When the wolf finally grew old and died, they buried it in the church as if they were saying farewell to a beloved family dog. The Wolf of Gubbio is a lovely story that touches our deep longing for Isaiah's peaceable kingdom. But seriously, it's not the way the world works, is it? At the end of the day, wolves are wolves, lions are lions, turtles are turtles, and war criminals are war criminals. The story is just a legend, isn't it? Perhaps so, but what is also true is that when the ancient church at Gubbio was undergoing some recent restoration, the bones of a wolf were found buried within its sacred confines. It makes me wonder, and and it makes me yearn even more for God's peaceable kingdom, where the wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. They will not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Come Lord Jesus. Amen.